Well, please turn, if you would, in your copy of God's Holy Word to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Before the supper, it is our practice here to affectionately meditate on the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ, to understand the spiritual realities of the broken bread and the poured out wine that we will soon partake of. Today we will consider Isaiah 53, verse 12, but particularly as we consider that verse, I would like to read the entirety of the chapter so that we would remember its context. Isaiah 53, verse 1, let us hear this very solemn word from the Lord. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And this is particularly our sermon text. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our holy God, what a solemn and weighty text this is as we see our Lord Jesus Christ in this text, 700 years before the incarnation. How vivid a portrayal of our suffering Lord and Savior. And God, we pray now in the preaching of the word that we would, we would see Christ as though crucified among us. We pray that you would help and bless the preacher with the spirit of the Lord 
to send your people to Jesus Christ, that they would see the great work of Christ and they would be conformed to his image, but that they would bless him and praise him and adore him and have every, every uh, bit of their soul trusting in the Lord Jesus. And so, Father, we pray for this congregation that they would see Christ, especially before the supper. And so we pray then in the, ple- in the preaching that you would portray Christ clearly set before us as though crucified among us. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, today, a great many politicians will make a great show of solidarity with the people. As though to say, I am one of you. I am an ordinary guy just like you. This, of course, happens every four years, every election cycle, as you know, when men who live in mansions throw on, let's say, a hard hat to go visit some steel workers, as if to say, I am one of you. For most politicians, most, this is really a pandering way to win votes, nothing more. There's no real identification with the people. What happens when the election is over? They put the hard hat away. They don't know where to find it. They return to their mansions. They hobnob with the movers and the shakers of this world. They go to their fancy dinner parties. These are the ones that they truly identify with, after all. Yet in our text, there is something profoundly mysterious and really beyond all comprehending, friends. That the Lord of glory, the holy God, had come down to be counted as one of us and numbered not to be just a commoner, which we are, but as a criminal, as a criminal to be crucified and identified as a sinner, not to win a vote for himself, but to save us, not for his benefit, but for our benefit. This profound mystery of the gospel is shown, signified, and sealed here at the Lord's table that is before you. Jesus Christ, Son of God, come down, as our text says, to be counted with the transgressors and condemned as a transgressor for the sake of sinners. Why? To bear our sin, to bear our transgressions, not for us to serve him as the politician desires. But as he said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered or served, but to minister or serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Believer, he did not come to win your vote, so to speak. He came to give his life for you. To be counted the criminal that you are, but he never was to serve you, to save you. And now, having ascended into the heavens, the king of kings did not forget you as most politicians would. He now, our text says, intercedes for you as a great high priest so that he would save you to the uttermost. And today at the Lord's table, he gives you a token of all of this that you might have your, your faith strengthened in him. Friends, there are such wonderful things that are found in the word of God, sealed and signified at the Lord's table. So we will meditate on our theme this morning before the supper, which is Christ numbered with the transgressors. Christ numbered with the transgressors. So that we would go to the table with faith and hope and love, 
in what it portrays. We have three heads today from our text on your bulletin. First is to consider Christ numbered with the transgressors. Second, Christ bearing the sins of the transgressors. And third, Christ interceding for the transgressors. And all those truths come straight out of our text. First, Christ numbered among or with the transgressors. Verse 12, the second part says, of Jesus, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Children, what does it mean that he was numbered with transgressors or the transgressors? What does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ was counted or identified with transgressors. And what are transgressors, boys and girls? They are lawbreakers. Lawbreakers. Not that he was a lawbreaker, but he was counted as a lawbreaker. He was numbered with the lawbreakers. This is a vital text. Friends, it establishes the substitutionary nature of Christ's work. It prophesies for us that the Son of God would be identified as a sinner for the sake of sinners. He was numbered with the transgressors. This is a glorious truth, friends. Unbelievable. This public identification and solidarity of Jesus Christ as a sinner. It shows you sinners his personal investment in you as your substitute before God and man. The hope of the gospel itself is found in the precious words, He was numbered with the transgressors. Because when Jesus Christ was numbered with the transgressors, He owned their transgressions. He owned them in His person. And He owned their penalty. He was substituted for transgressors. I must say, and you might know this yourself, that Isaiah 53, yes, it is an astonishing chapter, isn't it? But there are no other words, at least for me, that are as astonishing in this text. Why? Because as incredible as it is to hear that he bear the sin of many, I can somewhat understand that, that the God-man would bear God's wrath for sin's penalty. Somewhat. I can kind of understand that a bit. And as blessed as it is to read that he made intercession for the transgressors, I can in some way, though still it eludes me a bit, understand him praying for me, a sinner, a lawbreaker. That greatly comforts me. But what I cannot grasp and I cannot wrap my mind around is his personal identification with sinners. Me, the sinner, whose heart is wicked and vile in the eyes of God, a criminal. Isaiah 59, verse 3, just a few chapters from now, describes me and you, all of us, for your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue hath muttered perverseness. That Jesus Christ, Son of God, second person of the Trinity, who is over all, right? God blessed forever, holy, 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 comes to be counted as one of that. Cannot wrap my mind around it. I can plumb maybe some of the deeper mysteries of the Trinity that are revealed to us in the Bible, and I will struggle with that true. But that's a kind of almost intellectual exercise at times where your mind is stretched. But this, this is extraordinary. The Son of God is identified as a sinner. The transgressors of our text are sinners, after all. They have transgressed the laws of God himself. And that's what all of us are. You and me both. 
We all sin. The Bible says we all come short of the glory of God. We're all blasphemers. We're all liars. We're all lustful. Our hate makes us murderers in the heart. Our speech is unloving. Our actions are selfish. Our heart is full of pride. Our thoughts are wicked. We covet what is not ours. We're discontent with our estate, so on and so forth. We could go through all the commandments. And if we really had a sense of right and wrong, as we say we do, we would have hatred and shame for what is found in our heart. But man does not want to admit this naturally, that he is a transgressor. And if you're an unbeliever who has refused and has bucked against this truth of God, my unbelieving friend, would you like to be hoisted up here, perhaps, with all the secrets and all the thoughts of your heart broadcast for the world on on CNN or Fox or MSNBC, so that all the world can know what is in your heart? What shame you would have, unless you were a psychopath in men knowing what is inside of your heart. Most men don't want what is in their browser history to be known, much less what is in their heart, friends. To those of us who are saved, the Lord has opened our eyes. We are transgressors. We are sinners. We believe Isaiah 64, verse 6, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Rightly and justly, the great God of heaven shows us in his word that we are transgressors, that we are evil. Even for you who believe, even this past week, when you prepared to come to the Lord's table, you probably mourned the uncleanness that you found in your heart and you still see in your flesh. You said, as the apostle did, O wretched man or woman that I am, Romans 7, verse 24. In fact, as you grow, and you need to be comforted by this believer, as you grow in grace and holiness, as Paul grew in grace and holiness, we are more acutely aware of our wretched state before God, of the filth that is still in our flesh, and the great gulf which seems to grow all the time. What great gulf there is between us and the holy God of heaven. What hope do we have then? What hope did you find when you prepared for the table, believer? Only Christ, Jesus Christ. Here he is, beloved, in our text, numbered among the transgressors. And who is this Jesus who is numbered, this glorious one, numbered among the transgressors? I'll say it again because this is astonishing. He is a divine person, the second person of the Trinity, very God, in the fullness of time, born of a virgin, to be very man, to be the God-man, so that he may take on human flesh. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Here he is, the suffering servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, our Jesus, he is God. And he's the one Habakkuk prayed to and said, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Habakkuk 1.13. And you read, numbered with the transgressors. He is the one that the holy angels cry out day and night, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Numbered with the transgressors. But why? 
Well, 700 years before the Incarnation, God gave Isaiah this prophecy to teach us the truth of 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is that great exchange that we glory in, that sinless Jesus would be numbered among the transgressors so that we who believe on him would be numbered among what? The righteous. So that transgressors who believe on him would be set free from hell. Our text is cited twice by the Gospels, and you need to hear how the Lord uses it. In Luke twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus showed that the cross would be its fulfillment. For I say unto you, that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. Believer, was Jesus unaware of what his cross portended? Was he just swept away by what was happening? No, he willingly came to be counted as a transgressor in your place. The elements at the table signify his willingness to be identified as a sinner, to be broken and poured out for you on the cross. And then, when the high priests and Pilate charged him as a blasphemer and an insurrectionist, what did he say to them? What did he say to them when they called him these things? Isaiah 53, 6 tells you what he says. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb or silent, so he openeth not his mouth. Why? Why is he silent? Did he not say he came to be reckoned among the transgressors? He answered for your crimes, child of God. You are guilty. And so when he is accused of crimes, what does he do? He stays silent because he is, he is taking on your guilt. He is taking on your crimes before God and man. That is why he is silent. No matter how great your crimes are, child of God, he has answered for them. He was counted. You think of this and you think about the narrative, right? We don't have time to go through it all, but I trust you remember some of these things. He was counted a worse transgressor than Barabbas a seditious man, a murderous man. The people cried, away with this man, speaking of Jesus, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. You find that in Luke 23. Believer, were you seditious? Were you a murderer? Jesus is counted worse than that. And he stays silent. Then, of course, our Lord was beaten. Why? He was treated as a transgressor. He was shamed. Why? He was treated as a transgressor. Isaiah 50, verse 6, if you went back a few chapters. I gave my back to the smiters. See, this is this giving of himself. And my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from what? Shame and spitting. Beaten, flogged to the edge of death his body torn to a bloody pulp, the nail to the cross and put on display in agony, shamed and spat on. And he says, I gave myself to these things. I gave myself so that I would be numbered among the transgressors. So that transgressors who believe can say at this table by faith that Jesus Christ took my shame. For the Bible promises, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And the next time, 
that he was numbered with the transgressors is most sobering of all, as it is cited in the Gospels. It's at his crucifixion. And the Holy Spirit shows us where this verse finds its ultimate fulfillment. If you'd like, you could turn to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, and I will read several sections of this portion of the gospel. And we'll begin in verse 25. Mark 15 and verse 25. And it was the third hour. And they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And here it is. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. We'll continue on in a little bit, but let's leave that there for now. This scripture was fulfilled when the Son of God hung between two of the most evil men in the land. Set in the midst of them, he was publicly counted the worst of them all, the worst of the criminals there that day. Worse than Barabbas, who who leaves and is set free. Worse than these two thieves. Counted, numbered with the transgressors. And with it came the shame and reviling our precious Jesus did not deserve. We'll read again verse 29 now. And they that passed by railed on him, railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others himself. He cannot save. Likewise, uh, let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And listen. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. Believer, he took all of this reviling that you deserve. Why does he, you know, they mock him, right? You think of how strong a desire we have. If we have the power to vindicate ourselves, we would do it. They mock him and they say, come down from that cross. He doesn't come. Why? He has to be numbered with the transgressors. And his love for transgressors keeps him on the cross when all around him is mocking and reviling that you deserve. Even criminals are reviling him, saying, you are worse than us. Beloved, how willing he was to do it for you. The reviling you deserved, the shame that you have earned, the Lord Jesus takes on the cross. Did he ever protest? No. Never did he moan, I am no transgressor, take me off this cross. Never did he ask in bewilderment, why are you treating me like a criminal? Never did he protest and say, I am innocent, though he was. Why not? Why does the Son of God suffer silently? For you, believer, for you, he came to stand in your place because you are guilty. He substitutes himself in your place, in your place, your guilt, your shame. He took it willingly. How the Lord loves you. To do that for you. To be sin for you. The thing he hates. Will you praise him for it when you come to the table, child of God? Will you praise him? The worst, though, did not yet come upon him. The shame before men, insignificant, nothing. The pain of his torn back and pierced brow, very little. None of that 
was anything compared to being numbered a transgressor, not in front of criminals, but before God. Verse 33, And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth, <clears throat> until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He is silent until he appears before the dreadful darkness of God's tribunal. Judged by Almighty God for all the sins of all his people when he offered his soul. Numbered with the transgressors, he bore the wrath of God that we deserved. He cries out then and then only for what wounded the precious Savior above all else is to take God's displeasure and anger when all he had ever known was God saying, this is my beloved son. He took God's frown so that God's face as in the benediction might shine upon you, believer. He took darkness and wrath to give us light and blessedness forever. When God appeared, in the whirlwind, right, to confront Job with the power of his creation. Job covered his mouth for us to see Christ crucified, numbered among the transgressors to redeem us, ought to cause us to cover our mouths with astonishment because Christ's work to redeem even one sinner is far greater than God's power, his power to create the cosmos. We'll consider that a bit more in our second heading bearing the sins of the transgressors. Verse 12 also says, and he bare the sin of many. Beloved, his identification with you as a sinner is what allows Jesus to bear your sins. He owns your sins. In effect, he said to God, they are mine, O God. This one's blasphemy, put it on me. That one's idolatry, charge it to me. That one's Sabbath breaking, it's mine. That one's fornication, put it on me. That one's murder, put it on me. That one's homosexuality, put it on me. And as he took them upon himself, you see that he could bear the sin of many, as this text says. God legally could make him pay for all of those sins. This is part and parcel of the covenant of grace that we thought of in Psalm 105. Jesus legally binding to become the federal head of all of his people. All of our sins charged and reckoned to him. He was counted as a transgressor for all of his people. Do you ever think, child of God, where all of your sins have gone? Do they just sort of vanish in the void? No. They have gone to your beloved Jesus Christ. He owned them on the cross. At this table, which you have heard last Lord's Day, is a preview of the marriage of the Son of God to the church. You see that he has owned all of your debt that he might give you all of his riches. He says, in effect, to you, and this is you have to be comforted by this child of God, repentant sinner who has faith in Jesus Christ. He says, listen to this well, you cannot have your sin debt. I have it. It's mine. It's not yours. You cannot take it yourself. It was mine to own and to dispose. As far as east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you because I have taken it and they are mine. And we praise him for that. Praise him. That's the only reason we can come to God. Having owned them, he had to answer for them. He had to suffer for them. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath once 
suffered for sins, the just for who? The unjust, that he might do what? Bring us to God. He suffered for your sin, unjust sinner. He owned them. He suffered the wrath they are due. Christ the just, suffering for the unjust, to bring us to God. And is that not what the table signifies? Jesus Christ bringing us to God. So on the cross with Jesus counted as a transgressor, what must the Father do? He had to slay him with the sword of his vengeance and wrath. Zechariah 13.7 prophesied, think of the Father saying these things, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. He sent his sword to pierce the Son of God because Jesus was counted a transgressor. And that is how Jesus bare the sin of many. And you think of this, just as he was willing to be a transgressor, the willing nature of Jesus Christ must be something you always cherish, believer. Always. Just as he was willing to be a transgressor, he was willing to bear God's wrath. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup which my father hath given me. Shall I not drink it? John 18.11 He says, Put away your sword, Peter, for I must fall under God's sword. I must drink of his cup to the bitter drag. And this is not a partial payment for your sin believer. He drank all of God's wrath. Is that not why before he gives up the ghost, what does he say? It is finished. It is finished. He has owned your debt completely, fully. All sins, past, present, future. So that the Holy Ghost says with great satisfaction now, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And we praise the Lord for that. This is what the broken bread and the poured out wine in the sacrament signify. This is what they preach. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. For as the bread is broken, we have displayed for us the judgment of God that Jesus received. And the believer says that because he was broken, surely as this bread is broken, I will not be numbered as a transgressor for me, broken as he bore my sin. And when you see the wine poured into the chalice, which signifies his precious blood, you see that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth me from all my sin. 1 John 1, seven. And when you drink the cup of blessing that we bless, you say, I drink of God's blessing only because Jesus drank of God's wrath for me. When you come, you say, I could never, I could never bear my sins. None but God in the flesh, Jesus Christ could. I could have never atoned for the least of my sins, what the world might call a white lie. Only Jesus, the God-man, could. My repentance, I see, it does not atone for my sin. My faith, it does not atone for my sin. Only Jesus can, and only Jesus did. In the sacrament, I will see, and you will see too, that as Jesus was numbered and condemned as a transgressor, we hold on to this, because he was condemned as a transgressor, I will not be. I am now numbered among the righteous. If I have faith in him for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin did what condemned sin in the flesh. Why? 
that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Romans 8, 3-4. In the bread, I see that God condemned sin in Jesus' flesh. I see the righteousness of Jesus, uh, the righteousness of the law has been fulfilled. And Jesus transferring his perfection, his own righteousness to me. Numbered among the righteous now, as Jesus was numbered among the transgressors. That's the great exchange of the gospel. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Will you think on this, believer, when your hand reaches out to tear your part of the loaf? Will you think on that, that as your eye peers into the chalice and you sip of its wine, will you bless the Lord as you partake of these holy emblems of his love and grace to you? When you think on your sins, believer, and they are many as mine are, More than the hairs on our head, as Psalm 40 says. And you say, I am a great transgressor. When the shame of it falls upon you and you seem too miserable to go to God in Christ, will you hear the precious words of our text and console your soul? Will you say, oh my soul, yes, I am a great transgressor, but he was numbered among the transgressors or with the transgressors. He was numbered with me. Say, oh my soul, he died in my place. The Lord has put this sin, whatever it is, on him. He bore the shame of it before God and man. He bore the guilt of it. Would not my shame actually be greater if I do not turn to him for mercy in my time of need? Because he has already borne the guilt and shame of it before God and man. Console your soul and go to him. He has suffered worse for you than you possibly know. But we must see here that our text teaches Jesus bore the sin of many and not all. Many. The gospel, the good news of Christ, has never preached universalism. It is only good news to those who receive it by faith. That's why this table, the Lord's table, is a discriminating table. Many seats are placed around it, yes, but not everyone can come. Only repentant sinners whose faith is in Jesus Christ can come. Those who can say of a truth that he was numbered with me, the transgressor. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for who? The sheep. John 10, 11. Only his sheep, those with faith in him, those who believe in the gospel can come. If you are without faith in him, believe the gospel. Come to Jesus Christ. I plead with you. God says he pleads through the preaching of the word, come to Christ, come to Christ and be saved and saved forever. We are going to proclaim the Lord's death at the Lord's table soon. And you will see a very precious and beloved Savior who died for sinners. See what it portends. See what it portends. Believe what it shows. Young people, if you have not professed faith in the Lord, take Christ by faith as you look upon the sacrament and be saved forever. Would it be not a wondrous thing for you to say today that Christ loved me and gave himself for me? You can say that if your faith is in him. Those at the table will be saying it in their hearts as they taste and see that the Lord is good and how good he is to us believers, numbered as a transgressor, bearing our sin. What a thing it is if you have taken Christ by faith that you have the warrant to say this. He did not just bear the sins of many. 
He bore my sin. He bore my sin. He was numbered a transgressor for me. And he took all my sins away from me. Even the worst of my sins against his own person. He has taken. He has thoroughly and completely washed me. And if Jesus was counted as a transgressor for me, if the Son of God was counted a transgressor for me, how could God ever judge me ever again? All my transgressions are broken in Jesus when I see the broken bread. All my transgressions are poured out upon Him as I see that wine poured out. And must I not praise God for it? I must. I must praise God for His gospel and its gracious Christ. Lastly, consider interceding for the transgressors. Christ interceding for the transgressors. Verse 12 also says, Jesus made intercession for the transgressors. Of course, on the cross, fulfilling his function as our great high priest, he made intercession for us who are the transgressors. Not just identified with us, not just bearing God's wrath for us, but also pleading for us, pleading for us before God. He even prayed to God for those who crucified him. What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23, 34. Do his words, even on the cross as he suffers the shame, not prove he made intercession for the transgressors? Do they not demonstrate the great work he was doing when he was fastened to the tree? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. That is the heart of Jesus Christ, beloved. That is the heart you commune with at the Lord's table. And to know Oh, to know his intercession is to have a full assurance of salvation if you have come to him by faith, isn't it? For having been killed, put in the grave, on the third day he was risen again, and he continues to intercede now. His sacrifice for sin, yes, it ended on the cross, his once for forever sacrifice, but his intercession, that is ongoing. And we thank the Lord Romans 8.34, listen to this in the context of condemnation. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. If that was not true, we would have no hope. Hebrews 7.25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Why? Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. I am only saved to the uttermost because at God's right hand is my Savior, praying for me and all his people. Father, forgive him. Father, forgive her. Day and night, night and day, praying for us who transgress God's holy law day by day. So even as you transgress his law today, child of God, he is ever there to forgive and cleanse you. He is ever there to uphold you in the midst of your trials and temptations to sin. He is ever there, ever living to intercede and pray for you. This is a a, a quote I suppose most of us know. But McShane said it well. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. You come to the table not because you walked blamelessly these past three months. You come to the table as a token of Christ's mercy, grace, and ongoing intercession for you, child of God. Draw near to Christ at his table. Believer, take heart and be of good cheer. 
For it displays the words uttered in heaven for you by Jesus even now. Father, forgive them. So will you perceive today at the table the love of God, O saints, in those sacramental actions? Will you hear Jesus say, God so loved the world that he gave me his only begotten son in the action of the bread being broken. This is my body which is broken for you. Sinners saved by grace through faith, do you perceive that God commendeth or demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Romans 5, 8 through 9. And you think of the blood of Christ in the action of this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for many. Believe it in faith when you come. And oh, how Christ will meet you at the table. He came for sinners. That's why it says he was numbered with the transgressors. Who did he come for? He came for sinners, repentant sinners. So not, do not let your failings prevent you from coming if you have repented of them. It is why you have a Savior. It is why there is the Lord's Supper. Or else Christ came for nothing and he suffered for nothing. Christ came for only one kind of person the sinner, and the repentant one. It's astonishing that even in his grave, as he lay there for three days, he was numbered with the transgressors. Isaiah 53, 9, and he made his grave with the wicked. But as you heard, he did not stay there. And we'll close on this. His humiliation ceased when he was raised again from the dead on the third day in power. And the consolation And joy of the gospel is given to us who know Christ has suffered for us. Where does our joy and consolation come? That for all of his sufferings for us, God has greatly rewarded this Jesus, the God-man. Verse 12 in Isaiah 53 says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Why? Because he hath poured out his soul unto death. Jesus Christ is greatly exalted now. Why? Because of his work to save transgressors. Will that settle your soul, believer, as you think on your Savior's travails? Sometimes we stay crushed over God crushing Jesus for us. We should mourn it. We should mourn our sins, as Zechariah 12 says. But we are also consoled, and we are cheered, that as he poured his soul unto death for us, he also received the spoils of victory. He is now king over all, the mediator over all uh, things for the good of the church. He is exalted to the right hand of God the Father. And the Father has exalted Jesus, giving him the name above all other names. Philippians 2, 8 through 10. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and what? Became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let this cheer your heart, believer, that our Savior did not remain crushed, but he was exalted. And for for taking on your transgressions, the Lord has, has graciously and justly, in fact, given Jesus Christ highest exaltation and power. When you take the supper, you are communing with an exalted Christ, not a defeated one. Now seated at the right hand of God, 
mediator king over all. God was not unjust to leave Jesus in the grave. Jesus deserved exaltation, and exaltation he received, such that I can also say that praise the Lord for suffering for me, the sinner. Jesus Christ, the God-man, was rewarded. The greatest suffering ever has led to him receiving the greatest exaltation ever. And the mourning we have over his death for our sin is turned to joy and gladness for our Savior's sake. Again, Christian, you commune not with the dead and defeated Christ. You will now commune with the risen and exalted Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who was once numbered with the transgressors, so that you at the table, and all of you with faith, even if you don't come to the table, all of you who believe are numbered among the righteous. What a glorious gospel this is. And this exalted and gracious king now invites you to his table to sup with him and on him. And so let us now prepare to meet him in his banqueting house. Please rise for prayer if able. Our gracious God, what wonderful things there are in your law. And Father, if your word did not say such things, we would have no warrant to believe. These things are too marvelous for us. We bless you and praise you for Jesus Christ being made sin for us, he who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh, Holy Father, we can never bless you enough and praise you enough for giving us Christ. And so it is fitting that for all eternity we will sing, we will say, uh, worthy is the Lamb to receive such glory and honor and praise and adoration as we find he is due. And so, Father, as we come to see those tokens of the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, we pray that you would cause the word of God to make uh, known to us the mystery of the gospel as we see it at the sacrament. And if any here have never known the gospel before, have never heard of Christ crucified for sinners, may this be the day they believe. Give them faith to believe. And for those of us who do, Father, these things are too wonderful for our flesh to believe. So we say, Lord, we believe. Help thou our unbelief. Do so, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated.